You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Anderson. Hello and welcome back to Girls With Graphs. I am Rachel Anderson, one of your co-hosts of the podcast, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Amber Wilcox. Hey there. I'm so excited to have you back, Rachel. I know we missed you while you were gone, but uh, congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. And we're excited to kick off today's episode. Thank you. Yes. And now I may sound a little different. I'm coming off of a cold. So my voice is a little deeper than normal. It feels like today. <laughs> that cruise took her for a, a wild ride, right? With yes. that, that cult. Well, um, before we get started today, I do want to send over a special thank you to our season one podcast sponsor, Pritzker Hagman. Uh, they were on just our last episodes. If you didn't get a chance uh, while Rachel was out, we did talk with Pritzker. Um, but today we have a very special guest and I'm super excited and he's going to be live with us. If you have questions, definitely put them in the chat. Uh, but Rachel, do you want to introduce our special guest here? Yes, I'm so happy to introduce Aaron Volpatti to the podcast. He is an author, cognitive performance and injury coach, speaker, retired NHL player, burn survivor, and a graduate from Brown University with a Bachelor of Science degree in human biology. A pioneer in cinematic visualization and athletic performance, Aaron's unique practice has helped athletes all over the world. He was born in Ravelstoke, British Columbia, and he's a guitar aficionado and wannabe rock star. He's a professional dabbler spending his free time fishing, hunting, camping, golfing, playing squash, or learning a new musical instrument or language. He currently resides in beautiful Okanagan in British Columbia with his wife, Michelle, and his son, Finn. You can visit him online at AaronVolpatti.com or Twitter and Instagram at AaronVolpatti. So thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us today. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel, yeah. you did it beautifully, right? You're already you. worried about being tongue-tied here. <laughs> Nailed it. Yo, th yeah. Thanks for having me, girls. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yes, so we awesome are. Have you. And congrats yes, on the uh, the wedding. I didn't Thank know about you. that. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're my first podcast <laughs> back. So, and we're no live pressure. today. So it's double double whammy here. No fogginess allowed, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Aaron, I know you talked to Amber a little bit more than me while we were kind of getting things ready to go for the podcast. But I just would love to know a little bit more about you and kind of how you got started with ice hockey. I know that's a big part of your story. Yeah, I, th I think like a lot of Canadian kids, especially, it's just ingrained in, in the culture. And I was on skates early as a, you know, three, four year old kid in in the backyard and the makeshift ice rink over the garden kind of thing. And and that's just yeah, that's just where it all started. Um, I fell in love with it and loved it from a really young age. And and uh, yeah, played it ever since. So Aaron, what are I, I, I know it's not in your intro, but I know this about you. You are actually a part of our burn survivor community. Um, and if it's okay with you, can you just give us a little bit of an intro of, of 
you know, how your injury happened and, and how you became yeah. a part of the community? Totally. Yeah. So I was 19 and I was playing my second year in junior A here in, in Canada. So it's, I don't know, for those of listeners who aren't familiar with, with how junior hockey works, um, there is a, a league in the, in the United States called the USHL, which it would be very equivalent to that. So it's kind of right below NCAA. Um, and that's like what you play in to get recruited to play NCAA. And so we had lost out our season. And then, you know, this is almost coming up on 20 years ago now. Uh, wow. I don't know what the kids do now, but back then, like <laughs> we would go party for a week and, you know, that's just what we did. And I was a, uh, like maybe a lot of young kids, maybe young men, especially I was an idiot to put it lightly. I was like, I was the daredevil. I was doing stupid shit all the time. And, uh, yeah, so this, this year was no different. And I was a bit of a pyro and I was always messing around with gas and fire and, you know, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt, obviously. And and that's what Mm -hmm. happened to me. I was, uh, basically doing like a spin off a Molotov cocktail. And so I had two wine bottles full of gas in my mm. like sweater pocket. Like I'm wearing like the kangaroo pouch and I was walking around the party, you know, I think a lot of it would, I was feeding, you know, a young ego that, you know, a, I like the adrenaline from doing these crazy things, but I think a lot of it was attention, maybe attention from, from girls mm. or I was just living that like fighter, literally like I was the fighter on the team. Mm. And I think I was feeding that ego, feeding that, living up to that stereotype as like the crazy fighter guy, you know? Mm. And I mean, I can reflect on it now and and realize that's maybe what was going on. And uh, yeah, so I was going to like blow these bottles up and um, I was walking around all of a sudden I was soaking wet. So mm. as I was walking around the party, the bottoms of the two bottles had hit and broke. So now I had a liter and a half of gas spilt on my torso. And we had obviously been drinking and obviously not thinking straight. But so I know there's a fire and I know I have gas on myself and I you know, know that, hey, I shouldn't get maybe too close to this thing. Uh, but I didn't respect the dangers of, of gas and of the vapors of, of that, the gasoline. Right. And mm. so I was, I was a walking bomb really. And, mm. uh, yeah, I think like five minutes ish went by and, you know, I was like, I reek of gas. I'm just going to toss this sweater off. And to this day, I don't know why I wanted to toss it in the fire. I think a, maybe I didn't want to just litter and leave it there or, you know, Maybe I just wanted to like, hey, I'll just light this sweater on fire then. And I thought mm-hmm. what I kept was a safe distance away and gave it a toss and kind of gave the ground a kick. And it was just like a, a, a detonator cord to a stick of dynamite. It just mm-hmm. kind of followed me up and, and up I went. And uh, and my natural instinct, that fight or flight kicked in and I just bolted. And I ran and that was the worst thing I could have done because I was pretty fast. And so (laughs) I just, Mm. I took off and there was no water, there was no grass, there was no snow. Mm. It was like rocks and dirt. And so, I mean, I think the burn community is familiar. You can't put out a gas fire. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, I don't know how long it was on fire for, obviously way too long. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, rolling around, running through the woods and just trying to put it out. It wouldn't go out. Mm. And uh, it would, people always ask me, you know, what did it feel like? And I don't know about your girl's experience um, or maybe our listeners experience. That shock kicks in like I was in no pain, mm. right? Mm. I was in zero pain. Uh, there was a sense of panic for sure. I'm like, mm. I'm, I'm literally on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I know it's not good, mm. right? Um, but there was this like really eerie peacefulness after I don't know how long, maybe 15, 20 seconds. Mm. And I just remember feeling like really warm mm. and like I said, this odd peacefulness to the whole thing. And I, I feel like that's probably what dying feels like mm-hmm. because yeah, I was in no pain. Um, that came later, obviously. Sure. And, and at that time, that's when I finally got tackled from behind and my friends had finally caught me and, uh, and then they, you know, smothered me, beat me with all their jackets and everything and, and finally got the, got the flame out. So mm-hmm. that's and how so it all happened. There- from there, you obviously, went, I'm sure, went to the hospital. Um, tell us a little bit about that recovery. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately, we were out 30 minutes away from a hospital with no service. Um, mm. So, yeah, that whole next 30 minutes was might have been the, the worst pain of my life um, mm-hmm. once that shock wears off, right? Mm-hmm. And then we finally get to the hospital and I run in. I mean, picture the emergency room of a hospital at like 2 a.m., right? Mm. I, I always joke, you, you probably have the guy that, you know, got the crap kicked out of him at the bar and needs like a couple stitches and you maybe have a screaming baby. Someone's got chest pains and then in runs this, I'm ass naked because nothing left of my clothes. I was on fire mm. for too long. So I'm totally naked. I'm I'm bleeding. I'm burnt. I'm I'm dirty. I got rocks mm. embedded in my skin and I, and I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs and I can just mm. imagine they were like, oh, okay, you can help him. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, they must've knocked me out. Cause I don't remember anything after I, I ran in there and like mm-hmm. 10 seconds later, it was, it was black. So, uh, what happened was I was there. So this is in Vernon in, in British Columbia, smaller town and where I played hockey mm-hmm. and, I was there for two or three hours. They got me stable and then I got airlifted to Vancouver, woke up there the next day. You know, the first few days were very foggy in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a ton. I just remember being very confused as to why I was in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And then like, then the memories slowly started coming back and I'm like, oh shit, like this, this is pretty serious here. So, right, right. Mm -hmm. And about how long were you in in the hospital there, Aaron? Because um, it was in middle in middle of training camp, right? Or train or your training no, while you're in. So it was at, right after the season had ended. So it was okay. mm-hmm. it was kind of just heading into our off season. Um, okay. So I was in there for six weeks. I was, and I I mean that's a big part of the story. I was told I would be in there for a lot longer than that, mm-hmm. and that's where this whole journey with, you know, my experience with visualization and defying the odds, if you will, Mm -hmm. with the title. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we can get into that whole thing. Like, I remember uh, my first debridement procedure, which I think 
a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with. I think it mm. should be called torture more. <laughs> but uh, so I had my first procedure, like whatever, three days after mm. I arrived there. And mm -hmm. they hadn't really gotten a look at me yet. Right. So they're like, you're pretty messed up. We don't we're going to wait to this debridement procedure when we can get a look. So I mm. come out of that procedure in a ton of pain, obviously. Mm. And he kind of relays, you know, the diagnosis, I guess you could say, um, of, hey, you're 40% second, third degree burns. You're really lucky that it obviously could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. um, your face isn't going to be super scarred. I mean, not scarred. You're going to make a full recovery. We don't have to graft over your joints. Uh, but mm -hmm. you have serious damage to your torso, legs, and right arm and hand. So I had my arm and hands in a cooler going to the hospital. And he said that saved my right arm and hand. Mm. Um, yeah. So that was, he was like, we might need to bone graft your like arm and hand, which I was like, oh my God. And not and, having uh, a graft over your joints, I know is, is something that is, yeah. I know I didn't have many over my joints, but I know that they, they said the same to me of like yeah. having it over your joints can be an extra added layer of healing. And my mm -hmm. grafts on my thighs literally stop right before my knee. So mm, he's like, someone, mine do was, too. <laughs> yeah. someone was really looking out for you. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, okay, this sucks. I'm pretty messed up. Uh, I'm going to recover. What about hockey? That was what mm -hmm. I'm thinking in the moment. And so for me, I was like, my NHL was, was the NCAA. I mm -hmm. wasn't really that great of a hockey player. I was, I was pretty good I was above average but like I scored one goal in my first year of junior I'm not thinking about pro hockey at that point right mm -hmm. um and I like I said I was I was a fighter that's what my mm -hmm. role was and so the NCAA wasn't recruiting fighters in hockey because you can't fight in college mm -hmm. right so I'm like I can just slowly add these layers to my game as the years go on and so for me I had one more year of eligibility left of junior hockey to try and get obtain a scholarship and I was confident I could do that um, with one more year, one more shot, and just add more layers, play more minutes, put, put up more points. So I asked the doctor, I said, we have camp in <laughs> three, three, three and a half months. I'm like, what, what does that look like? And mm. I'll never forget the look on his face. And he kind of <laughs> like, he just froze. And mm. I, could tell, I could tell right away, he's like, this poor kid thinks he's gonna be playing oh. hockey in a few months. <laughs> And he was he just said, listen, these these recoveries take years, not mm. not months. He said, you're going to be in here for a while, like well mm. into this, well into the summer, potentially. Mm. Um, let's just focus on your recovery and pain management. And mm. we'll look at getting you in a pair of skates years from now, like in a non-competitive environment kind of thing. Mm. Right. Um, because there was a huge list of reasons, as you and the listeners would be familiar with, like that's the skin grafts, that maturation process is long mm -hmm. and they're going to be stiff and painful and, and itchy as hell, which I didn't realize at the time. And they uh, don't know how long it's going to take to heal. I mean, there's no answer, right. To healing in most cases, yeah. it looks different for everyone. Right. So what I, as quickly as I may heal, may be very different for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just, not being able to sweat from those areas like at the time mm -hmm. if we're thinking close to 40 percent like that could have major complications with heart rate and 
mm-hmm. infection was probably the biggest. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, you the last thing you want to do is put that in in under gross hockey gear I've never washed in my life. <laughs> right. And like being a, you gotta wear a full body suit for two years. Like the list just went on and on and on. And right, right. So my career was over at, at that moment. And I, it was like, a, it was kind of this, I was trying to balance these two different emotions. One, on one hand, I was like very thankful that I was going to A, be alive and make a full recovery and have some cool scars to tell my story maybe. And, but on the other hand, I'm like, what, like hockey is all I know at this point. Mm-hmm. What, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Right. So I was. I was really down and depressed about that identity being just, you know, taken away so quick. And so that was my first two weeks in the burn unit was dealing with, I mean, like you said, pain and just what the hell I was going to do with my life at that point. And so. Yeah, we, I mean, we hear that from survivors all the time of that kind of loss of identity, whether it's a hobby or a sport or, you know, even just what you did for a day-to-day living. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of survivors, whether even if they had their injury at work or they had something with their hands and now they can't do the same type of career that they had. So that's yeah. definitely not, you know, we hear that all the time. Um, so when did you get back to playing hockey? Did you go back late that same year, later that year? Yeah. So this is, I'll try and keep it short-ish. I mean, this is the, <laughs> this is the meat of the book is about that journey. So I get a call two weeks in to my stay and it's my coach in Vernon. And he said, you know, trying to keep it somewhat light and find some sick humor in the whole thing. And he's like, you know, how are you holding up? And I said, well, you know, not great. So my, mm-hmm. I mean, to paint a picture, like, you know, I'm bedridden, I'm wrapped like a mummy. My parents mm-hmm. put the phone up to my ear and yeah, I'm, he's, I'm talking to him. He said, Hey, I, I was just talking with the assistant coach of Brown university and mm. they're after this type of player and he told me his, his exact words were we want a guy to put the fear of god in the defenseman of the ivy league and that was mm. what i did i was like <laughs> i just punished defensemen on the other team right i didn't score goals so when you and, say fighter too because i want you to be specific about this you know i know what being a fighter means in hockey um yeah. because my husband is very into hockey and i, I won't lie okay. we did look up your your NHL and my husband said to me, "Oh, he's a fighter." And yeah. I I know what a fighter means, but do you want to tell those that may not know what being a fighter in hockey means? Um yeah, yeah. <laughs> what so, that what that is? Well, I mean, first of all, funny quick quick funny story, my son's just about 7 and uh-huh. so he like gets that I played and he thinks it's cool and uh-huh. when he was a couple years ago, you know, he's like, "Daddy, can I see like your some YouTube fight or clips?" And in my head, I'm like, there's like one goal on there and hundred fights. And I'm kind of like, okay, maybe don't watch like those ones. Daddy doesn't do too good in those ones. So maybe let's leave that one out. (laughs) But yeah, uh, there's definitely all over there for sure. But um, so yeah, fighter in hockey, you can fight. Mm -hmm. And someone has to play that role. And part of that role is policing the game in a way where, you know, I know that if I go run over their teams, one of their good players, I'm going to have to answer for that. So in a way, and like, I don't want to fight someone that's six, four, 240 pounds, really. I'd rather not get punched in the face. So it polices the game and it keeps it safer in that sense. 
Um, it might, that might sound abstract to people who know nothing about <laughs> hockey, but it, uh, it really does. And it, it really does keep the game honest and it can be, uh, you know, used as a momentum change, right? Like if my team's down two or three goals and we're playing like shit, then, you know, as a fighter, I can go out and, you know, get in a fight with someone and part of it is the momentum swing. And the other part of it is the team's like, this guy's literally trading shots in front of 20,000 people and getting punched in the face mm. and he's putting his body on the line. Like we need to pick it up kind of thing. So that's yeah. sort of how the role of fighting works. Uh, I think hockey. some people go to hockey to watch the, the action that goes down. I know I do. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, um, an, it's, it's an aggressive sport. Yeah. That's just, <laughs> the, re that's just, that's just the reality. Um, so you were so, a literal fighter here is what you're saying. <laughs> literal fighter. I, I mean, people, so it's funny because people ask me about, my book and they think that's what it means and mm -hmm. it really doesn't i mean it it works that way too and that that is a small part of it but it's really about fighting for for what you love and fighting for what you believe in and, and what is right that's really what the fighter means and mm -hmm. it and i happen to punch people in the face for a living too but <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're in the hospital yeah. you talk to your assistant coach or, or you talk to someone who had mentioned brown university tell us what happens next yeah, so he's my coach says, just call him. I know you got the time. Uh, <laughs> they want to talk to you. And so, yeah, I hung up the phone. My parents take down this assistant coach's number, and I call this coach from Brown. First time I, I'd ever heard a Rhode Island accent, which you don't <laughs> Amber, you don't really have one. Like I don't, and it's funny that so. my mom does. Um, but folks tell me all the time, like, you don't sound like you're from Rhode Island. No, and I'm like, like, no, thank goodness. <laughs> I, I, I'd never heard one until this guy's, I, I called this guy, his name was Danny Brooks and he was a character and he's just like, Volpatti brother, you know, like, <laughs> uh, it was pretty funny anyway. So it was left really open-ended and he just said, we're really sorry to hear what happened. We wish you the best in recovery and and maybe we can see you play one day if you know if it all works out both both of us knowing that like that's as of now not a possibility because i only have one more year of eligibility mm. right mm. and uh <clears throat> that's that's how it was left and i remember hanging up the phone when well, my parents hang up the phone and i'm just laying there and i just remember getting really emotional and thinking you know i've worked my whole life to talk to one of these guys and it's finally happened and, and look where I am. Like, look what I've right, done to myself. Right. And I remember I just started asking questions about that list we talked about of like, here's why you can't play. Mm. And I just started thinking like, those aren't good enough reasons for me. And uh, I'm like, I'm not like everyone else. Like, if you're telling me it's going to hurt, it can't be worse than what I just went through. That was a mm -hmm. little bit naive thinking because there was it was a long road. But uh, yeah, I just, I made a choice. And I think that's for me in my life, it's really been empowering and mm -hmm. not just in this moment, but in a, a lot of other moments to just make a choice. And I said, no, that's not going to be me. And I'm going to, I'm going to come back and play hockey and it's going to be a really cool story and I'm going to do it. I don't care if I get an infection and I'm going to almost die. I'll deal with that when it comes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not advocating for anyone out there or family members to like not listen to doctors in the burn unit but it's more the message is 
this this injury doesn't have to define you and define mm. the rest of your life because I almost let it define what my life was supposed to look like. So that defiant attitude really it served me well and and uh, I just made a choice and that's where people ask me like how did you discover visualization and this is how because I was bedridden in a burn unit I didn't I couldn't move so my mind was all I had and for those weeks prior it was just infiltrated with all the negative shit you know and mm. and how much I mean you talk about pain like that stuff takes hold of your mind right mm, sure does and uh and I just started, I flipped that and I just started saying, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to start visualizing and thinking about what I, where I want to go because mm-hmm. I can't do anything else right now. And uh, it really like, it really unlocked this, this superpower in this different place in my mind. And, and the pain started becoming different and it, it became more manageable. Um, I mean, the mind is a crazy powerful it thing. Is. And especially when it comes to a, a traumatic injury like this one, right? So totally. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's more to the story, but I, I end up getting out of the hospital after six. So I got my graft surgery, uh, four weeks. It was supposed to happen earlier, but I kept getting bumped down because people would come in, in a, a lot worse, worse off mm-hmm. situation. Right. And which is, which is fair. It just delayed, um, the surgery for me. Mm-hmm. And once that happened and part of, I mean, at the time, I was supposed to complete the first phase of rehab at the hospital. And I just remember, like, once I had this choice, this kind of fork in the road, and that I was going to play hockey, I, I told my dad, I'm like, you got to get me out of here. Like, I need to go home. I like, you know, the burn unit is, I always say, one of the, the most special places in the world. But it's also one of the most terrifying with mm. some of those injuries that I mean, oh man, I, d- I remember a few of the injuries that people had there and it was, it's not a fun place, right? And it's, for me, I'm like, this is not conducive to my recovery. I need to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So I semi-jokingly semi- joke, semi uh, told the nurses and my parents, I'm like, I'm going to walk up. Well, I couldn't walk, but I'm going <laughs> to wheel, I'm going to wheel my ass out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they agreed and I think they were okay with opening up a bed, uh, earlier and so yeah six weeks and I was I was out and that's Mm -hmm. that's where the journey really started which is it was a long definitely a long year I mean the doctors were right I had no business playing hockey uh I had all these complications Mm. uh, leading up to and during that year um so it was a long road but yeah Mm -hmm. well I think there's definitely a balance of you said, listening to your doctors and care teams of not, you know, over pushing yourself, but at the same time, not just sitting back and saying, oh, well, the doctor says I'm never going to play hockey again. So I guess I'm I'm never going to play. play Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that's important, right? Because I know like for me, I also was in the hospital for a very short amount of time, Erin, but it was because I wanted to get out. Like, but then Mm -hmm. once I got out, I remember being like, oh shit, what did I do? Right. (laughs) And, um, I had my husband here to support me, but I also know like when you look at recovery, there were days where I was just complacent and said, I can't do it. So I'm not going to, but, um, having a support system to say like, no, yeah. like, th- what is your goal? And giving me, and I hear that a lot of folks just feeling like, like when you find a goal of what you want to achieve 
after your injury, I feel like that does help. Right. So for me, it was yoga. Like I want to get back to doing yoga. So every day I sat on a chair and did chair yoga and that was my end goal. And I think that I attribute that being the reason of why I'd like was able to heal like the way that I was because I, yeah, I fought. Right. And I think it's a similar situation for you. You were, your end goal was to get back to hockey, to get back to, to doing what you loved. And so you fought hard to get to that place. Am I, is that sound about right? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's having that guiding star Mm. and, and I think the big part is the, the purpose and the why behind it. Right. And I wasn't willing to let, like, that was my dream and I wasn't willing to let that go. Uh, and I was, my mindset was literally like, I will die before I fall short of this. And I mean, again, I'm not advocating for people to push themselves that hard, but I did. And I would have never made the NHL without getting burnt. I know that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, these adversities in life are often disguised as a gift. Right. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I, I believe I got burnt to, to open up my mind to the power of, of visualization. Um, because I know I healed faster in the burn unit because of that and was able to get out of there sooner and, you know, frame the pain differently and all these things. Uh, but my body fought back (laughs) in every way possible. Like I had kidney stones the day after I got out. Oh, wow. Uh, I got wheeled into the hospital in my wheelchair because I couldn't stand up for another six weeks after I got out of the hospital because um, the blood would rush through those grafts in my legs. Mm. So it was like tensor, non-stick bandages, go for a five-minute short walk like an old man kind of because I couldn't stand up straight <laughs> and, then, and then crawl around on my arms all day. And so mm. that, uh, so anyways, I got wheeled into the same hospital I ran in ass naked six weeks prior. <laughs> Uh, and then I got, I had to get an appendectomy, uh, 10 days before our training camp that fall. And they had uh-huh. to cut, they had to cut through my skin graft to get it. Um, oh and it was gosh. just, I, my body was just being like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, we're trying to recover from this major injury and you're like working out and doing this, these things that we need to, you know, chill. Mm. And I had sometimes our bodies pelvis. tell us what we're not willing to admit to right (laughs) exactly yeah and and i but our body is the governor right and Mm -hmm. the mind is the mind runs the ship and you know that's what was happening and i had this so the season i ended up playing in the home opener and i mean if 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 you would have seen what i looked like under my hockey gear like people thought i was insane um (laughs) because those you know i still had open second degree burns playing oh wow and and you know, the grass were very fresh still. And yeah, like the doctors were right. I shouldn't have been playing. But I mean, I look back like, what if I would have listened? My life would be a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got this really bad pelvis issue because I think the the trauma to my thighs was so severe that I had this really bad instability. So like I was coming to the rink to and from the rink on crutches. I could barely walk, let alone play hockey. Oh my gosh. But, but this was when... This is a long time ago. So back, you know, 20 years ago, the player made the choice if they played or not. Like if Mm -hmm. this happened today, I wouldn't be allowed to play today because the doctors now have authority and like, especially with concussions and these things. Mm -hmm. And they would have said, no, you like you aren't able to. 
right. and I probably wouldn't have had a choice back then. I made the choice, and I, like I said, was willing to die. So I'm like, shoot me up. I this is when you could get shot up with any painkiller you wanted. So I was like, load me up and get me out there, and that's what I did. And as soon as I got that scholarship, I uh, it was it was hard to turn that switch off. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I can't just be getting loads of Toradol and cortisone every day for like a year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I chatted with the coaches and the coaches from Brown once I committed and everyone agreed like, okay, it's, it's time to, to get healthy here. You've, you've done it. And so mm-hmm. for me, I had to, I had to give myself that permission. It's like, you did it now let's get healthy. And it took two years to fully recover. It did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. It sounds like it's... you learned a lot during that time. though. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I definitely learned, you know, that we're capable of a lot more than, than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just, yeah, just the power of, of, of the mind and, and what we're really mm-hmm. capable of. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you going, going back. So I'm sure, um, like returning to playing your teammates and coaches, like you said, they, they thought they were like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> um, but, but in terms of, um, how you kind of, felt about your scars when showing right showing them I'm sure you had to show them whether you were changing in the locker room or yeah. um getting out there in in public being able to show them in some degree um how did your teammates and your coaches kind of first react and and did do you feel like that might have changed you, who you were as a person after that accident right so you were always known as the the fighter a little bit right so how did that how did that change it yeah that's a really good question for me, like, honestly, I wore it as a badge of honor um, because it was part of not only my physical self, but it was part of, like, in my mind, that had given me, that injury had given me this, like, opened up this whole new world. Mm. And, you know, I felt unstoppable after mm. coming back from from that injury and, and getting a scholarship to to an Ivy League school. So I was on top of the world. And... That's not to say I didn't get some interesting looks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always joke with people, you know, because bouncing around hockey teams, I mean, college, you're with generally the same people, except the new freshman class is coming in. Uh, but even just, you know, in pro and in turning, you know, bouncing around teams, I always joke that I'd get some some pretty interesting looks in the shower. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, or I think, you know, kids, right? Because kids just stare and they tell you like, they tell you what's on their mind, you mm-hmm. know, they don't. And so kids would always stare and uh, I, I don't know. It never, it never bothered me in any way. Cause like I said, I had an association with my scars as a, as a badge of honor, but mm-hmm. I can tell you that if I would have, you know, succumbed or accepted that diagnosis, I think that would have looked a lot different mm-hmm. and maybe I would have had some, um, I don't know what the word, not a, not a sense of shame isn't the right word, but, you know, just associating it with like a loss of identity maybe. And it's like the reason, and you have a different association there versus what, what I had. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, yeah no, me, that for me, the teammates were, they knew what I put my body through. No one else really did. So they saw mm. behind the scenes 
stuff that was really going on, like me not being able to walk and in, in, in the locker room debating like every day is this, can I do this? Is this worth it? Mm-hmm. What you're putting your body through, like all these questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was interesting going to Brown because, and that was a big part of the book, even with my closest friends and family, like no one really truly knew what I had gone through. Mm really like behind the scenes because you know part of it was like the hockey culture as as and as a man i think in general like mm-hmm. we're not taught to be super open and vulnerable and talk mm-hmm. about our feelings right so for me i never ta- i never talked about anything mm-hmm. and so for all everyone knew that when i went to brown they're like oh pat like my nickname was patty they're like patty got burnt and he recovered and that's kind of it that's right. all they knew, right? They didn't know the whole journey behind it. And um, we talked yeah, a little I mean, bit about that of like how as a as a man, sometimes you're asked to kind of toughen up, right? And and our culture hides kind of like that emotional side of of what you're actually going through. So I, I appreciate the yeah. fact that you're you're talking about that because I think I'm sure there are other survivors out there listening that could probably relate to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially having a burn injury. And whether it be like self-conscious, whatever you're feeling about your scars, and then you don't want to ever talk about it, like, right, that's just a recipe for disaster. Mm. Um, And now I think, thankfully, that it's changed. I think we still have a ways to go. But Mm. now you're now you're seen as strong if you're able to to open up and talk, which is which is great. And be vulnerable. Um, Yeah. And be Mm -hmm. be vulnerable. And that was a that was a big thing for me to even start this book. Because I was scared. I'm like, I'm going to really have to dig in here. And this is uncomfortable. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that's definitely a big part of it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing all of that. Um, one thing I want to kind of dive a little bit more into is you're talking about this visualization. I know you talked about doing it in the hospital. Is that something you did, you know, once you were at home and once you were at college and playing and do you still do it today? And can you just maybe tell our listeners a little bit more like what that means or how maybe they could start? Yeah, yeah, totally. So to answer your question or the one question, when I got to Brown, everything went out the window because I was like, that was my, I have reached the peak. There's nothing else after that. And I Mm -hmm. just, I was naive and I didn't have the wherewithal to think like, man, if I can do that, like what else could I do? And so I didn't visualize after that because I had done what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to Brown, I just enjoyed, you know, being a U.S. college athlete and had fun. And I mean, I worked my ass off and, you know, and had a pretty hard academic load and and worked hard and, and all those things. But yeah, I just had fun and and when I mean, my perspective on life had changed as well. So I was like, I'm just going to live it up, have a good time. And I, after my junior year, my, one of my assistant coaches came up to me and he's like, have you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I like, just laughed in his face because mm-hmm. I was 24 at the time, almost 25 because I went to college late. Right. And he's like, I really think if you worked on your game, you could have a solid like five, 10 year career, like in the AHL, which is right below the NHL. Mm-hmm. And maybe even get a shot one day in the NHL. And I'm like, wow, okay, thank you. I mean, I've literally never thought about that. Right. And that's a big part of the story too. You know, I, I went home that night and I was like, had another kind of light bulb moment. And I was like, hey, ding dong, 
what have you been doing for the last three years here? And I made a choice that day that I was going to play in the NHL. I said, mm-hmm. I'm like, if I can do that and overcome the burn injury to come back and play hockey, why can't I play in the NHL? And so that's when I had to go back to, to the visualization piece because I'm like, what do I know that got me there? Uh, mm. to Brown and it was the visualization piece. Mm. So I said, okay, let's do this. And that's where I started coming up with the idea of the cinematic uh, visualization. So directing my movie and, and playing it in my mind. And so I would just live in this other reality. And I, and the, the important part of that, what I've you know learned through some studies at Brown and experience and studies after is that you need to create an experience when you're visualizing. You can't just a thought is okay, but it doesn't evoke the necessary change, you know, like mm-hmm. in your brain as opposed to creating an experience because that's when you can start, you know, your plasticity of the brain. That's where you start changing the connections, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just so powerful. And it, it almost transported me into this other reality. And then I was able to reflect back on the burn injury. And this visualization transported me into this other reality and out mm-hmm. of my physical reality. Right. So give and, me an example of like visualize, like you creating this cinematic experience. Like, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would start with the beginning. So so once I have this moment in or epiphany or whatever fork in the road, and I have to go back to the visualization, I literally frame it like a movie. So I would open it up. It's about 10 minutes long and I'd have a soundtrack to it and everything. And I would open up with the beginning. So I'd think about what are my first memories as a kid in hockey? Mm. And it was like playing on that backyard rink and, and pretending I'm in the NHL Right. And when you have that soundtrack to it, it really starts evoking this emotion and nostalgia when you start it with an opening scene like that. And then I would kind of fast forward through my childhood and hockey memories, uh, good family memories really quick. The beginning was like 30 seconds, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to the burn unit and then I would quickly replay that whole thing for maybe another 30 seconds, a minute. And that's where I would, it would act as a segue where like I felt unstoppable because I'm like, hey, if I can do that, I can do anything. And I truly believe that. And then I would go to where I was now or currently, which mm-hmm. was at college. And that's where I would insert these areas, which I call rehearsal imagery. So I would visualize myself on the ice executing, you know, how I wanted to play in my mind over and over and over again. Um, and then you know, that would be about another three, four minutes, say. And I would just imagine dominating every game and mm. making the plays, scoring goals. Because for me, I had to add that offensive part. So I would, you know, insert that piece of just dominating every game on the ice, feeling good, feeling fast, feeling strong. And, you know, again, creating that experience. And then I would end it with the NHL. So then I would imagine, you know, having the conversation with my agent, signing like physically and feeling the signing of the contract. Mm. And then the ending of my movie was walking down the tunnel for that first NHL game. I I would see my parents in the stands and we would all get very Mm. emotional knowing like I was never even supposed to play hockey again, let Mm. alone play in the NHL, the best league in the world. And, and then I would always circle it back to that why that we talked about with, 
okay, why did I do this? Because no one said I could. And I set out to prove people wrong and myself right and mm. protect and fight for my dream. Like that was my why. And then it would kind of like turn black and the credits would roll mm. kind of thing, right? In my head. And it honestly was so powerful. Um, and that's why I'm so passionate about teaching it now. And the craziest thing about the whole thing was I ended up signing with Vancouver out of all the 30 teams. I signed with the Canucks. <laughs> so I'm like, man, have I been like manifesting this my whole life and I didn't even know it? <laughs> you know, like I was in the burn unit in Vancouver five mm. years prior in Vancouver with never a thought about pro hockey and mm. my hockey career was over. And then five years later, I'm a member of the Canucks. Like it was all just so crazy how it worked out. Full, yeah. And it's full circle. So that, yeah, that's really I think cool. The moment. universe, the universe just works in crazy, mysterious ways. And mm. I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty, it's a cool story. So from Vancouver, you went to the Capitals. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Yeah. And you did have an injury on the ice at the Capitals. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I did. I got hit from behind and I basically blew my discs up in my, in my neck. So mm -hmm. I was lucky. I, it could have been a lot worse. And uh, yeah, I ended up getting spinal fusion surgery that, that ended my career just like that. Wow. So Unfortunately, it was only a five and a half year pro career, which again, I'm, I'm really thankful, cool. thankful mm -hmm. that, that it happened, but I would have in a perfect world. I mean, life's not perfect and things happen as we know. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, I would have liked to, you know, maybe just been retiring now, but that's not how it worked out obviously. And, um, yeah, but you, I mean, that's a big part of, of my story too, is, once that happened, then life really hit me. <laughs> mm. Like, so I have all this experience with, you know, physical and mental adversity and, and grit and, and being a man and all this toughness mentally and physical, uh, physically. And then this happens. And so now I have that identity gone again. Mm. And now I know. So it was tough for me to like, again, turn that switch off. With my burns, I knew that I couldn't make the burns worse. It was more like, can you deal with the pain and the risks of infection? And mm -hmm. for me, the answer was yes. With my neck, I eventually had to say, hey, if you, if you keep doing this, and I could have played, you might have like a broken neck or like a double or triple fusion. And then now you're talking about like, will I be able to pick up my kids and shit one day? So for me, it was a really hard to like, again, turn that switch off. Mm -hmm. um, but after talking with those doctors, uh, and I was also older, right? I was, I was 30 and I was trying to start a family. My 20 year old self might've felt differently. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had changed as I gotten older, but a lot of it was, you know, you can, you can really have a life changing, uh, neck injury here. Mm -hmm. So that was it. And then again, that identity gets taken. And mm -hmm. for me, I was like thinking about what the hell am I going to do for the rest of my life? And uh, aside from the physical pain and discomfort that was after the neck injury, right? Dealing with that. But again, so where I'm going with this is then life, life happened. And mm -hmm. I, my, my ex-wife, um, wife at the time almost died giving birth to our first son. She mm -hmm. was in ICU for like 10 days. So we were trying to deal with that. My dad got diagnosed with ALS uh, a month oh, wow. a month after that, 
Uh, and then I, you know, within, within like a year and a half, my life just went to shit in my mind. And so I was going through a divorce. My dad was sick. Mm. Uh, all these things happened. I, I was a loss of identity. I hit rock bottom mm. and I didn't know going back to the physical and mental stuff. Like I could push through anything in that regard, but emotionally and spiritually, I was just like an immature little boy in my thirties. And I, I didn't have the tools and I didn't know how to deal with all this shit that was happening. Mm. And so I hit rock bottom and I was just a mess. And, uh, I had a moment one day where I come out. So I had my son and he was two at the time. And I remember I was hung over because I had been drinking way too much. Mm. Like I said, I was in a bad spot and like, two years prior I was in the NHL like with no cares in the world and right. making good money I was married and like life was what it was supposed to be and now I'm like how the hell did I get here mm. and right so I was drinking too much and 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 whatever and I had my son and I was really hung over and he was like daddy let's go out and play and I remember I just put on a show for him and I was like daddy's not feeling good buddy and then I just had another moment where I'm like, you said you would never do this. Mm. And I just like, I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. But um, yeah, yeah, I just said no more, no more. And uh, yeah, how did you how did you come through that? So what what were you know, what were the steps there that you just, I'm sure that's an, an emotional journey in and of itself. So how did you come through with that? Yeah, like I said, that was arguably a harder time for me than than the burn itself because I mm. didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I had to go again. I made a choice, and for me, every time I've made a choice, I'm I I stick, stick to it. And there's it. a lot of power in making that choice. And mm. I just said no more. I'm gonna untie the shackles and move on, you know. And uh, I had to go again, go back to like, okay, what do I know? And it was this, and it was the visualization. So I said, okay, I'm going to start, you know, visualizing and rewriting my movie. What do I want my life to look like? Mm. And the craziest thing is like within a few months, like I meet my now wife and <laughs> like life just changed. I mean, it took a few months, obviously it wasn't overnight. Right. But so for me, like, and I tell people like visualization has, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten me from, from the burn unit to back to play hockey to college. It's got me to the NHL and it's also saved my life mm. um, because every time I've, I've gone back to use it. And so now I have the wherewithal to be like, okay, dummy, like this is something you want to just practice every day when things are good too, not just when things are bad. Yeah. Right. So now that's so um, powerful. I know yeah. I, we talked with our, our team not too long ago, um, our mental health counselor. And she said that like, even just meditation, right. is so good to practice even when you're not at your lowest lows, because yeah. being able to do that is a tool then. And I, to me, it's like, okay, that's why I think I was able to recover mentally very well from my injuries because I was always practicing that meditation and yoga and like being able to fight through like what my mind was telling me. And I think 
so much we think about like getting, oh, I'm going to wait until things get really, really bad to find the help that we need rather than yeah. practicing it all the time, right? Like mm. kind of like riding a bike. Yeah. If you don't practice riding your bike, you're not going to be able to keep going. So yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> totally. So, and so now I, I know I practice it all the time now, right? Mm. And, and my movie looks a lot different now when I visualize it, but that doesn't mean it can't be equally as beautiful and powerful. Mm right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's definitely been a journey, but I, again, yeah. like every piece of greatness, like whether it be professionally, personally, it's always been preceded by some really, really crazy adversity. And I don't think mm. that's an accident. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm. I think definitely. just for all the listeners, you know, you, you can come out with a lot more power and, and, and look back one day and be thankful for for the journey yeah. too definitely definitely well i know we're running a little short on time and i know you just recently published a book fighter define the nf nhl odds so i know you talked about you know a lot of this you can probably read in your book but can you tell us a little bit more about the book and where our listeners can find it yeah i mean i think we've kind of given the overview of, of the story but yeah it's really my journey from the burn unit to the nhl and and life after hockey and dealing with adversity and the power of the mind um people can you can find it on on amazon or on my website aaronvalpatty.com so a big a big why and reason behind the book well there's two one was uh to give you a back quick backstory on how this came to be. So right when COVID hit and we went into lockdown, mm. I was still going through the identity thing, right? I, I worked in wealth management for a few years and I, I didn't love that. And I left that and ended up doing an Ironman and raising money for ALS as, you know, oh, well. just for something, yeah, something mm. to, to, to have purpose for again. So that sure. ended and then COVID happened and, I'm like, okay, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I'm stuck inside now. And I went and meditated and visualized on this bench mm -hmm. by, by our house that we live in. And I just, and then this book came into my head and everyone had always asked, you know, told me like, Patty, when are you going to write the book and like tell the story? And, and I'm like, maybe it's time. And I'm like, I can help people at the end of the day with this. And, and that was when I, said it was a bit scary to think about but i had to get out of my own way i guess you could say mm. um and just be okay with opening up and being vulnerable so i i made a decision that that i was going to do that and and write it and the other part was you know giving back to the burned community and so we have 10 more days left but we're donating 40 percent of all the proceeds or proceeds back to the to the burn fund and so that kind of comes with my number in Vancouver was 54 and I was 40% second, third degree burn. So for 54 days from launch date, uh, we're donating 40% of the proceeds back. So that's really um, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, like we talked about this before, I think it, it just really lines up perfectly. So, I mean, I think the burn community will really resonate with the story obviously, and, and you'll yeah. support it, support a great cause with it. And yeah. I mean, if anything, I promise you'll be entertained. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, so we have two final questions that we ask any survivor that comes on here. So 
I'm going to ask the first one and then Rachel will ask you the, the next one. But um, I love to know about self-care. So you talked a little about visualization, but mm -hmm. how does Aaron practice self-care? So man, practicing self-care as a man may look different than, than how I like to practice self-care. Um, how do you enjoy self-care <laughs> these days? Uh, music, playing guitar is, has always mm. been my my kind of escape where I'm able to just not think about anything and, and just play. Well, and you did say want to be a rock star, right? right? So you do yeah. play guitar. <laughs> I do. I have a slight obsession with, with uh, guitars and music and my son is like really into drumming. And so now we get to, he's kind of reinvigorate. We have a band. <laughs> yeah. So I, I told him, I'm like, Hey, if you ever get famous, don't forget about your old dad. Cause I want to be in the band. <laughs> Uh, well, I tell yeah. you, music is very powerful, right? I'm sure. Have it's you always had been had that affinity for music? Yeah, yeah. My dad taught me guitar when I was 11 or 12, and then I just became obsessed and mm. just played it all the time and got pretty good. And yeah, and I mean, I I loved music right from a young age. So um, mm. yeah, and and my experience with visualization and music and you know. I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time, but when no, like fight, fighting in hockey was was not easy in the mm. NHL, you know, like I'm not a huge guy. I, I played at six, six, one, 205 pounds. I'm I'm fighting guys that are like 240 pounds and six mm. five, you know, and it's someone reframed it really well or framed it really, really well and said, it's kind of like imagine the bully comes to you at school in the morning and says, I'm gonna take you into the field and the whole school is going to be watching. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. That's kind of what it's like. And so all day, all you're thinking about is this fight and you're like, well, I'm not going to back down, but I'm also like, <laughs> I don't want to get the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, like I would always be thinking about the fight the next day, you know, and like, Oh, they got that guy. So for me, if I just went down and picked up my guitar and I could just escape that, um, mm -hmm. and so for now, and even now I, I'm able to, you know, when life gets real, uh, I'm able to just pick up the guitar and it just kind of whew, resets everything. So, yeah, I think having an outlet, it's really important. I know for me it's yoga, right? So if I'm having yeah. a rough week, you know, I'll say to my husband, I just need an hour to, to <laughs> be in my, like my space with yeah. my, so I, I can relate. Cause I think that's a really important self-care tool is what, whatever works, whether it's playing guitar, doing yoga or, you know, knitting, <laughs> if, if that's yeah. what works to kind of get your mind out of where it's at, I think it's really important. Yeah. And I think for, for me, the guitar piece, I had, I held on even more after my injury because that was in jeopardy at that point. Mm -hmm. Right. With right. just what he said, like my, my right arm and hand, yes. we're going to be like, I thought about hockey, but I, and I also thought about guitar. I'm like, am I going to be mm -hmm. able to play guitar again? Right. Um, so yeah, just held on to it even harder, I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, our other question we love to ask everyone is, and we talk a lot about anniversaries. So I would love <laughs> to know if you do anything special on the anniversary of your burn injury. Oh, that's a really good question. I definitely call it the anniversary. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. I don't, I don't have a, a tradition with it though. I'm trying to think back to the first like five years if I did anything. Um, I think I just made sure I was around my family, I think mm -hmm. for those first five years, but 
Now you got me thinking that I need to make it more of a special day. <laughs> We've heard that too before yeah. from some of the other people we had on the podcast. Well, I don't do anything yeah. too, too special. I just always have a nice dinner with my family and friends. Um, yeah. and, and we didn't talk there. about this too much, but I think like family is really important to me, right? And friends yeah. and having a good support system. So totally. I'm sure, you know, dealing with, I know your dad had ALS, but I'm sure during that time of your recovery, that's just so important that you have a yeah. great support system. So I agree. I think having my family around me during that time is sometimes really right. Those are the people that got me through when, when I was at my worst or saw me at my worst. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think the last 10 years, I, at least I haven't done much. I just say, Hey, it's my burn anniversary. And, but now you got me thinking I'm going to make this day a little more special. It's a birthday. Yeah. yeah. It's, and for mine, me, it's like a second birthday. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. Ironically, mine was 420. Yeah. So, hey, uh, Rachel and I are both uh, April Burniversaries as well. Oh, are you? So, yes. yes. What day? April Burniversaries. Uh, I'm four, four, and Rachel, you're four, five, right? No, I'm the first. So, I'm April Fool's Day. Oh, really? Yes. Maybe we should all like get together and just have an April. <laughs> have an April Burniversary uh, Day. April Burniversary yes. Month uh, That's right. party. <laughs> Yes, That's right. I love that idea. I love a good yeah. reason to celebrate. So yeah, I yeah. never, I never can turn down a good anniversary celebration. So we'll have a, we'll have a campfire sans gasoline. Yeah, yeah. you can play some guitar. Amber yeah. can yeah. lead us through some yoga, and we're all right. yeah. It'll be a very peaceful, peaceful anniversary yeah, uh, yeah. day. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you for for being here today. As we close out, I just want to take a moment and once again thank the season one podcast sponsor who we would not be here without today. So Pritzker Hakeman burn injury legal team helps burn survivors and their loved ones pursue compensation and justice throughout the United States. If you have any legal questions for them, the attorneys at Pritzker Hagman are ready to help and you can find out more at legaljourney.guide. Aaron, any final parting thoughts for any survivors that are maybe listening in on our podcast today? Oh, putting the pressure on me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, again, don't, let your your burn injury define you and define the rest of your life. Uh, you're capable of a lot more than than you realize. Mm -hmm. Thank you so so much, Erin. It was honestly such a pleasure to have you on. Yes, we really appreciated you. your vulnerability today, and we hope to hear from you real soon. Yeah, you bet. Okay, thanks, girls. Thanks for having me on. Thanks Thank so you. Bye -bye. bye bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.